0: That's right. That's right. Let's all say it together. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, absolutely. How about one more? He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Man, I am, uh, I am so excited that you're here this morning. Welcome to Aspen Grove Christian Church. Uh, you are our second service today. So I don't, I don't know if you know what that means. Uh, what that means is we're going to be here a long time because first service I was on the clock. I had to be ready, but second service, man, I can just let things go, so get comfortable. We've, uh, we've been walking through Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells us the story of Jesus from start to finish, and uh, so for, for weeks and weeks we've been walking through Matthew's gospel, leading us all the way up to today. And Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to pick up. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to open them. But I just want to I I tell you Matthew's telling. I want to share with you Matthew's story. And it begins with a man named Joseph. Matthew 28, it begins with a man named Joseph. You see, customarily bodies were left on the cross for weeks to rot. But Joseph, a follower of Jesus, is, is unusually and unexpectedly granted permission by Pilate to remove Jesus' body. He wraps the lifeless form of Jesus in a long linen cloth, places the body in a new tomb where it was a tomb for him. By rolling a large stone in front of the entrance, he seals it. Don't miss this moment. Jesus is placed in a tomb, not his own. He takes Joseph's place, as he does us. The next day, leading priests and Pharisees approach Pilate. They ask him to post a guard because they know Jesus' prediction about his own resurrection. And, and if somebody steals the body, everyone uh, uh, will know that he has been raised from the dead. And that they even say, we'll be worse off than we were at first. At dawn on Sunday morning, a pair of Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they go to the tomb and that's when it happens. Scripture says that the earth quakes. An angel of the Lord with face like lightning and clothes white as snow descends from heaven, rolls the stone away, and sits on it. The guards, the green berets, the navy seals shake with fear and fall into a dead faint. These military men will later be bribed to say that the body of Jesus was stolen. Still the angel turns his attention to the women and says, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus. He isn't here. He is risen. The angel has these messages of, of don't be afraid. Come and see. And then she tells the, the angel tells the women to go and tell the disciples that he will meet you in Galilee. And they were filled with great joy, but also very frightened And they turn and they run, heading towards the disciples to share with them the message that he has risen. And suddenly the one they had come to see is before them. This is my favorite part in Matthew's telling. Suddenly Jesus himself is in front of the pair of Marys. Almost as if he couldn't wait for Galilee. The women see him and recognize him. They grasp his feet and worship him. And he tells them, much like the angel did, don't be afraid. I want you to go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. The scene quickly turns. The disciples are gathered together on a mountain. They know that he is coming. And suddenly, Jesus is there among them. And it says some worshiped him, but also some doubted. He gives them a commission, telling them about his authority. He shares a few sentences with them. He even promises that he will be with them always, even to the end of the age. And then you know what happens next? Nothing. Matthew's gospel ends. Abruptly ends. You know, I I sincerely regret that uh, the one telling us this story is a tax collector. I, I would have preferred uh, a poet or songwriter. Uh, why couldn't Shakespeare describe these events, events to us in, in vivid color? Or couldn't we have Spielberg direct it? Instead, we have a tax collector's account. Poor Matthew is more familiar with Excel spreadsheets than he is with flowery, descriptive language. He simply offers an, a, an accurate accounting of the facts, A history void of any explanation or interpretation. Matthew offers little or no hint that in this moment, the moment of Jesus' resurrection, the world is changed. Can you feel it? Maybe you can sense it. Something is different. You see, up until this point in the history of the world, in the history of humanity, we have lived in a rhythm of life and death. Every one of us begins in birth. Our life begins. We are born first, and then at some undetermined time, you and I die, right? It has always been this way. Birth and then death. It's always been this way until now. Jesus reverses the flow and out of death comes life are you with me believe it or not Jesus speaks often of this great reversal new life springing up from the from death In John chapter 12, he records Jesus' own words. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In 1 Corinthians, it says, unless a seed dies and is buried in the earth, it cannot be reborn. And what I want you to see is that it's it's not enough to simply admire and, and, and contemplate and consider the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Like, like sometimes we treat the death and the burial and resurrection like, like some great work of art hanging on a wall that we come and we pause before and we admire and look at. But, but it's not enough to treat it that way. You see, when, when you teach a child to write its letters, you, have, you, you parents remember that? teaching your your kids how to write their letters. When you teach them to write their letters, you hold their hands. Your child forms the letters because you are forming them with them. And what I want you to see in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus is the point man for us. Like, like no doubt Jesus makes a way for us through the sacrifice of himself. He makes a way for us. But in the same way, the resurrection, we should see that Jesus also holds our hands. He makes the way for us through the, the sacrifice of himself. But he also shows us the way we must go. He shows us, demonstrates for us the way of self-sacrifice. I know what you're probably thinking. Sure, Jesus is a great guy. I mean, we were really impressed by his teachings. He definitely, like, he did some cool things. And, and no doubt he, he wants us to follow him, but he wouldn't want us to follow him all the way to death, would he? Like, I mean, our, we follow Jesus, but we, our, our journey ends at the cross. We don't go any further. That, that was for him. That wasn't for us. He would not ask us to die. Would he? If you remember his own words in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your, what's that word? and follow me. He says, that, you know, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The promise of the resurrection is death then life. Jesus shows us the way. So how is this done? How are we, you and I, as followers of Jesus, how do we take up our cross? How, how are we to die to be reborn? Uh, I, I love the, the question that C.S. Lewis asked around this issue. Uh, the question he asked is, do any of you like to play tennis? Resurrection, tennis, you don't, guys, you don't get the connection. You have any tennis players in here? Anyone want to admit that you're a tennis player? You're a Wimbledon champ, right? Like, any t- Do you know a tennis player? Okay, there we go. Close enough. C.S. <laughs> Lewis says there are, there are only two kinds of tennis players. There's only two kinds. Of all the tennis players, there's, there's only ever been two. The first tennis player, the first player is the casual player. You and I, we know this player. This, this player has, has played tennis some This player probably even knows some of the rules of tennis. May even know how to keep score in tennis. Um, They might have to dust some, you know, knock some dust off their racket. But but largely, the casual tennis player looks kind of, you know, they may even have some tennis clothes, right? They may even look largely like a tennis player. And and believe it or not, they may even hit a good shot every now and then, right? You guys know the casual tennis player. You know who I'm talking about. So C.S. Lewis says that's the first type of tennis player, but there is a second type. And in many ways, the, the, the second player looks, looks very much like the first, knows the rules, dresses the part, except the second player has spent many regular hours on the court. And over the course of those hours, the, the second player's eyes have become tennis player eyes. They have eyes for tennis, eyes that, that know where the ball is and where the ball is going to go. The, the second player has, has tennis player muscles in their calves and tennis player nerves. The second player is, is finely tuned machine, tuned to the game of tennis has has tennis player hands familiar with the racket familiar with the strength of holding it and striking the ball has tennis player feet the second player uh, thinks and dreams in tennis when the second player spends money he spend he or she spends money on tennis and through training and 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 dedication, like the second player sees the world through the strings of his racket. And because the second player has made innumerable good shots, he or she can now be relied upon to make good shots consistently. You can count on them to make a good shot almost every time. So C.S. Lewis asks the question, he says, I ask you, which is truly, which one is truly a tennis player? What would you say? You know, in externals, in, in appearance, they might seem very similar, right? But only one has given themself or herself completely to the cause of being a tennis player. Not only does he or she look the part, he or she has been changed. You might even say the old life before a tennis player is gone. They've been transformed, mind, body, and spirit into a tennis player. You might even say, if you'll permit me to use the language, they have been born again as a tennis now I ask you, what is the catalyst of this new life? How did this transformation, how did they become this, this tennis player? What caused it? The answer is, of course. But the second player completely surrendered themselves to the idea and to the process of becoming. A tennis player. Do you see it? Death before life. The Bible says that, that Jesus surrendered himself completely. On the cross it says that, that he emptied himself, became, became nothing to make a way for us, but to also show us the way. And the way is this, that if we are to receive the new life that is available to everyone through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we must follow the example of Jesus, surrendering our whole selves. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It's a long quote, I'll put it on the screen, but I don't want you to miss the, the power of it. He says, the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. Christ says, I want you. He says, I haven't come to torment your natural self, but to, what's it say? Kill it. And he says, no half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. He says, hand over the whole natural self, all the desires, which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. Surrender yourself completely. And then what he says is, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Death, then life. The simple gospel is this. We've been talking about it over the last the course of weeks through Matthew's gospel. The simple gospel is this. that It is that all have sinned. All. Mother Teresa, uh, Billy Graham, yours truly. Jesus even looks at his disciples and he says, all of you will desert me. All of us have sinned. We have all rebelled against God. We've committed adultery against God. And the punishment for that is not that, that we are slowly dying because of our sin. No, the reality is that because of our sin, because all have sinned, we are not dying, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us this isn't all she wrote. The way of new life has now been open to us. New life is possible. It's available. All have sinned, but every human on the face of this planet now has access. All have sinned and all have access to new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have but to enter into it. We must enter into the life that Jesus offers. So the question is, what kind of tennis player are you? You see, if we are to enter into this new life this life and life to the full that Jesus promises, then you need to know that no half measure will do. That incomplete surrender will never be sufficient. Uh, You may look the part, but that will never be enough. Nothing less than your whole self will do. It reminded me of the story of uh, uh, Judson. Van Deventer. You guys know Judson Van Deventer. He didn't play center field for the Yankees. Judson Van Deventer, um, uh, at around the age of 40, had what we might call a midlife crisis. Everybody know what that is? Don't point your finger. Judson had a midlife crisis. Like, his desire was to pursue his passion as an artist, and he was an amazing artist and, and art teacher. Yet, around the age of 40, he could not ignore, like, like, there was a stirring in him that maybe God had a different plan for his life. He writes in his own words, he says, For some time, I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into ministry. He said, at last, the pivotal hour of my life came, and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life, and I became a minister and evangelist and discovered down deep in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. You see, you guys may not know Judson, but, but Judson, especially over the last half of his life, had a prolific ministry He became an incredible minister and songwriter composing more than 60 songs. Uh, Judson lived a long time ago, so we call his songs today hymns. None, however, of all of his songs and ministry has standed the true test of time and stayed around except for his very first song about it, about its genesis, about its birth, he said this. He said in the very same moment that, God, that he consented everything to God's will over his own. He said, God released a hidden song in my heart. He touched a tender chord in me and he caused me to sing. And these are the words that came from his lips. The moment he gave himself completely to God. Maybe they will sound familiar to you all to jesus i surrender all to him i freely give you guys know that song written more than 200 years ago that song has become one of the central Songs of the Christian Faith. One of our oldest and most beloved hymns. In that song, I don't know if you realize it, but Judson uses the word all, all, like all meaning all, all, everything. He uses the word all 43 times. And the word surrender 30. This morning, we want to give you the opportunity to sing those same words. The same words that sprung from Judson's heart the moment he gave himself completely to God. All to Jesus I surrender. So if you'll permit me, today's service really isn't about this teaching time. But it's we're going to turn the lights and turn the focus on to you. So next we're going to give you a chance to respond. And we're going to give you a chance to respond in a couple of different ways. The first is uh, we're going to invite you, if if you're ready, if God is speaking to you, maybe he's speaking to you for the very first time, we want to give you the opportunity to be baptized. This is the example of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. It's been the tradition of of every man and woman throughout history that has given their life to Jesus, who have wanted to surrender all to him, to be immersed. Literally, the Bible talks about baptism as in being buried in the waters with him. Remember what he said, you must be buried to be reborn. To be completely immersed in him, in his will. To give all of yourself to him. And so maybe this morning, maybe there's been a stirring in you. You have a desire to be baptized. I want you to know we have everything you need. And in just a minute, I'm going to move to the back. And if God's calling you to be baptized, we want to receive you. We want to walk you through that process. We have have the clothing you need. We have the towels. We are ready for you to make that commitment. And we want to see it but we want to give you other opportunities as well. Maybe you have been baptized and, and you're realizing that, that the thing that many Christians realize is, man, I gave my life to Jesus. The problem is I keep taking parts of it back. And so this morning, if maybe there is something you, you are clinging onto, something that's creating distance between you and Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to surrender that as well. And so hopefully as you walked in, you were given a white flag. It's a simple symbol of surrender. and just a moment after I say a prayer, uh, what's going to happen is uh, and, and I just want to preface this by saying, you know this is this is just going to take some time. you okay you guys okay with that? What we're going to do is those of you on the sitting kind of on the wings, we just invite you to kind of come to the back and we invite you to come right down the aisle right down the middle. every single one of you will have a cross on the screen and and We have markers here. We encourage you to ride on your flag. What is that thing that you need to surrender to Jesus? What is that one piece of your life, one piece of your will, one piece of your desire that you've been holding onto? What's the one sin that you need to confess and repent of and turn over completely to God? Many have come before you already today. Do you guys see? Come and ride on your flag. Many have simply just written their name. Just as an act of, hey, God, I, I, in light of what you have done, I give you my whole self. And if you're comfortable writing, then I just encourage you to, there's sand up here on either side. I just encourage you to plant your flag. You're, you're not surrendering to me or to this church or to some desire that we have. But see yourself coming to the foot of Jesus and giving your whole self. To him, so you guys understand. You got that part. You know what to do. After you make your moment of surrender, we invite you just kind of peel off around the stage on both sides and along the back. We have the tables of communion set up. This is a great place for you to come. On the tables, uh, we invite everyone to participate. Our our. The, the cup and the bread representing the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus Christ. We invite you to come and surrender your whole self to him and then enter into the new life that he offers. So in just a minute, I'm going to say a prayer. We're just going to, like I said, the, the stage is going to go dark. We're going to have a cross and, and this just becomes your space. I hope you see like the impact that it's had on this space already. It is a sacred space. So I encourage you to take your time. Be patient. A few final words, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. One final C.S. Lewis quote. He says, Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. I invite you this morning, in the light of Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection, in the light of his example, to give up yourself, to find your real self. This morning is your chance to lose your life and save it, to release your grip on this world, on this life, and experience the great reversal for yourself. Die to live. I invite you this morning, this Easter, to say the words all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and the example of your son Jesus Christ. God, I can't offer any forgiveness. I can't, I can't, I can't offer any grace, but you offer it freely through the sacrifice of your son Jesus Father God there you had every one of us in mind when you sacrificed your son you knew our name you knew our face you knew what we had done and yet you sent your son to the cross to make a way for us to bring us from death to life and so father God I, I pray that that not only do we bear witness to the sacrifice and to the life of your son Jesus Christ that that he is alive but, Father God, that, that we can enter into the kind of life that he promised by giving all of ourselves. And so, Father God, I pray right now, even as we're in this space, that you would plow up the hard ground of our hearts. Maybe there are things that we have, uh, we have too tightly and too, for too long held on to. Father God, we release them to you. Maybe, God, there's a stirring this morning for men and women to come to you and give themselves to you and, and through baptism. Then praise God, that's exactly what we want. Give us courage as we come before you and sacrifice our all to you. Father God, you ask for, for every one of us to give ourselves to you, mothers and fathers, daughters and sons and children. Father God, bless this space as we come before you. Let us know the kind of life that you offer. Let us experience the resurrection for ourselves. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen.